an uncharted island. Let me list all the ways you're gonna die. Rain, heat, disease-carrying flies, and we haven't started on the things that want to eat you alive. We'll double that. Plus a bonus if we make it back. If? In this dirty old part of the city Where the sun refused to shine Is that a monkey? live below us i call them skull crawlers why because it sounds neat okay look i just made that name up i'm trying to scare you i'm fine calling them that are you cool with that yeah that, that seems like a good, i like the name like a... Run! Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Jaws, the movie review program where we take a movie, talk about it, and then put it up against the Jaws scale to see where it lands. Today we are looking at Kong of Skull Island and we have Mr. Luke Giaconetti and Mr. Jason Giaconetti with us once again to talk monsters. How you doing boys? I'm doing good Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing good, happy to be back with you guys. That's all good here, you know. So it's, it's I'm, I'm always happy to be on to talk, uh, you know, talk monsters, you know. <laughs> well, this this is an interesting one because it's kind of the second, because Godzilla, the the most recent Godzilla remake is kind of the first, but yes and no and not really, but now it is. So this is the the effort to uh, to go back and. Uh, kind of set themselves up for the new Godzilla vs. King Kong movie that we're going to get eventually. I don't know if there's a release yep. date on that yet. 2020 is uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong, um, which is which is interesting because it's specifically always been referred to uh, at Legendary as Godzilla vs. King Kong. Uh, I think this is so they don't have to say, you know, um, you know King Kong vs. Godzilla 2020. Because that was the original. Even in Japan, it was King Kong versus Godzilla from 1962. Uh, so I think that 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 way they put uh, Godzilla first, so they can have it be a different title. But yes, 2020 Godzilla King of the Monsters comes out uh, next year, and then the matchup between Kong and Godzilla 
in uh, 2020. Well, so. the Godzilla next year is a direct sequel to the most recent Godzilla? Yes, it is a sequel to Godzilla 2014, yeah. Um, and we'll pick up, actually, with some of the information in from this film. So, uh, I mean, that's the thing. The, the always It always was the intention, um, at least... So, so we have been told, because when Godzilla 2014 was released, um, Universal still held all the rights to Kong, and there was Legendary wasn't in the picture. Legendary announced Skull Island, um, it was at San Diego Comic-Con, it was like an unannounced thing, like nobody knew they were going to announce it, it just kind of came out on the newswire, it's like, oh by the way, Legendary says they're doing a Kong movie, and it's going to cross over with Godzilla, and it's like, we all kind of lost our shit for a little bit there. And, uh, you know, because it's like, holy crap, you know, because, you know, um, on uh, on a recent episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, uh, Jay and my dad covered the film The Land Unknown. Mm-hmm. And The Land Unknown is one of the ones that we've always said, well, if there ever was a movie that deserved a big budget <laughs> remake, it's The Land <laughs> Unknown. Well, the, the, the second one on the list for me was always King Kong vs. Godzilla deserved a big budget remake. So we're, we're going to get my long-awaited big budget remake of King Kong vs. Godzilla. Uh, probably won't. Probably will be a lot different in the details. I would imagine, but uh, you know, is uh, is Kong going to be energized by lightning in this one? Maybe you never know. I mean, he does fight the octopus in this one, right? So that's yeah, King Kong right. versus Godzilla. Or it's right there, you know. Yeah. He tears apart Oadaku, just like in the Japanese one. So, but uh, but we're not here to talk about about that because that's all speculation still at this point. But uh, uh, Kong is Skull Kong's. Um, it's Kong Skull Island. It's it's kind of a goofball title well they uh, changed it remember originally it was kong of skull island yeah and then, then it was just it well, then for a while it was just skull island too skull it, island right yeah yeah but now it's just kong yeah. skull island which sounds more like a video game than a movie title i think but uh which i still uh, refer okay. to it as kong of skull island but even though it's not that i just yeah. I, I had that imprinted in my brain uh, yeah. Before this movie came out, how much did you guys, other than what you said about Comic-Con, how much did you guys get on it? Because I really had gotten very little. Uh, I would say the most exposure I got to it was uh, that I, uh, you know, I, I, I did the first-person view of the new Kong Royd in Universal on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Kong King of Skull Island is that, which is supposed to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um I actually avoided. I'm I'm pretty staunch about avoiding um, spoilers, especially for, for for films that I that I want to see. Like I'll give you I'll give you for instance. There's there's been a couple of movies that's come out this summer here in 2017 where even though they're they're big budget movies and everyone's losing their their minds over them, I gladly went to Wikipedia and read it just so I could be part of the conversation because I don't care if I ever see the movie or not. Uh, whereas a film like this, where I was eager to go see it on opening weekend. Um, once the, you know, I, I watched, I'll, I watched the trailers for it because, you know, it's hard sometimes to cover your eyes and ears if you're in a movie theater or whatnot, but, uh, but I didn't seek out any information on this other than, you know, posters or non-spoilery stuff like that, you know, B-roll and stuff like that. So I tried to go in as fresh as possible for this. I did that with Godzilla 2014 and I, uh, I thought that greatly enhanced the viewing experience for that. I think it helps just about any movie, honestly. And uh, and it, had, it didn't steer me wrong with this, so I, I know I avoided just as much as I could. I assume Jay, you were kind of in a similar boat for that. Well, I mean, I I, I watched all the trailers because Dad and I would like would watch the trailer every time when one would come out. Yeah, I saw all the behind the scene footage, all the extra footage, 
But I mean, the thing is, to me, I don't. I'll be honest. I mean, there's there was no mystery to me, like what was going to happen in this movie. Like I, I'm like, I don't mean like you know what. It's they got to go to the island. They got to yeah. you know they got to somehow interact with Kong. It wasn't like if I found out anything, I was like, oh, oh no, it's going to ruin it. So yeah. to me, I read up as much as I could on things because I was actually prepping uh, for the show. Um, and the thing is, your episode, your episode was spoiler free very much just an organic like hey we're going to the theater it's really great you know whatever and and your episode's very much you could listen to what you said before you saw it and you weren't going to ruin things yeah if, listen to dad and i on bots bugs and babes we gave you the whole movie we gave you the spoiler <laughs> the ending the ev- i mean i flat out said it like there's a lot of spoilers and dad's like is it okay to do this i'm like dad the movie's out people are, have to make their own decisions and i do know a bunch of people who said who actually contacted us uh, dad and i and said we i listened to your podcast because they listened to yours and they said your brother didn't tell me anything that i didn't already know <laughs> which is not a bad thing but they were like but i wasn't sure if i wanted to see it so i listened to yours and i learned all about the movie and i said oh that sounds good and i'm like like I, that's just to well, me. These listeners I mean, I should just trust my opinion more. I think that's the takeaway from that. I mean, <laughs> well, how many years I've been I, doing this, folks? Come on now. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll just say. But Dad and I, you know, uh, when we don't, we pull back everything. There's like, this is everything that's going to happen, and I mean, we do that with every movie. And I can't, I, yeah. I'd be hard pressed to say uh, that any episode of Boss Bugs and Babes doesn't have uh, the movie warts and all just there for you, you know, kind of thing. So. Um, you know, I mean, I had done a bunch of digging, trying to find, you know, all different parts to, just to kind of get the synopsis written. Because Dad and I went and saw it. Uh, I think it was a Sunday morning. Um, yeah. Or whatever. Maybe it was Saturday or Sunday morning. We drove from, from Danbury to Brewster. So what's that? Like a 15, 20-minute car yeah. ride? Or a half hour at most, right? Because there's no traffic. Which, at that time, we kind of discussed what we want to talk about in the show kind of just nail it down, walked in the door, turned the computer on, and started recording. So from end credits and then, you know, to go pee and then get in the car drive home, there was no stop. There was no nothing. There was just as fresh as it could be because you wanted to get it out there. So I had to have something ready to go because I ha- I'm doing the synopsis as we go through it. So uh, it's, again, it's different too. I also, like, I mean... I read, like, Rue Morgue and Fangoria and, uh, well, not anymore. Fangoria doesn't exist. But I used to read Fangoria and, like, Horror Hound and stuff like that. And they'll give away stuff in those magazines without even meaning to sometimes. Like, they'll show stuff they're not supposed to show. Like, it's stuff that we put out, but they'll, they'll have interviews and whatever. And some of those magazines, especially Rue Morgue, because they try to always be on the, you know, ahead of the ahead of the ball, they will sometimes give away stuff for, you know, movies. And I've kind of gotten used to the idea that, like, you know, I don't expect to be – if something surprises me in a movie, it, they have to really do a good job of hiding it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it things – because I'm always looking – I would expect there to be a twist. I would expect there to be whatever. You know, it's when things don't happen. So I'm like, oh, well, okay, they didn't have a twist. You know, kind of thing. Well, so You know, it, it's it's not so much that. It's just I, – I, you know, it's – it's it's the, the the especially for genre film. It's the constant, you know, what I call the chewing of the cud. You know, it's okay, yeah. you know, it, it's it, anytime there's a genre film and, and that comes out that anyone is interested in at all, there's enough folks online discussing it and discussing every bit of information and posting everything that was posted on some mm-hmm. random website. That oh, it's this, this we found this out and we connect this to this and this means this to the point that it's like okay, well. 
you know, there was an interesting phenomenon I was reading about in uh, back when Suicide Squad came out that there were people that despised the film and people who defended the film passionately before it was released because of the amount of dissection that had happened for the film that no one had seen yet. Literally no uh-huh. one had seen yet because this was before even they were doing like the preview screenings and such. But there was a sense of ownership on both sides. There was a sense of ownership among the people that wanted to like it and the sense of ownership of the people that hate everything DC. So it, it, to me, it's like after a while, it just it just gets old to just rehash everything we know about it. And so it's a million monkeys at a million typewriters. You probably don't know exactly what's going to happen, but somewhere somebody has has figured it out just by sheer probability. And, right. you know, oh, yeah, yeah. So it, it, to me, it's like I'd, I'd rather go in fresh because, damn it, I paid my money. I want to be entertained. Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? You know. So I think Gladiator is a good example. I went in totally blind on that. You know, yeah. I had nothing. Well, so Gladiator, like that was, was two thousand. That was a long time right, ago. Gladiator would have been right. If Gladiator came out nowadays, it would have been completely ruined. Well, first we, off. Before, well, first off, Gladiator had come out nowadays, uh, they would have jumped all over it because there's no female Gladiators. You know, the, the wow. female roles are all passive. Secondly, <laughs> it would have been shot with this weird orange and blue filters all over it, and it would have looked like shit. <laughs> okay, and and uh, and then it wouldn't have been it, it wouldn't have been uh, Russ, it, like it would have been like uh, Will Smith playing the role of Maximus or something like that because everybody knows, uh, you know, uh, Russell Crowe doesn't draw money anymore. Everybody knows that. So, wow. but. Yeah. What, what I what I what I mean is that like Gladiator's trailers. Remember the original trailers for Gladiator uh, before the Super Bowl, and it was like it showed like football and it showed yeah. hockey. I'm like, what are we watching? Is it like I thought it was a Gatorade commercial? And then the and then the Super Bowl comes and they show the first trailer for Gladiator. When you're like, what? And like, it lose just your call you lose your mind. But yeah, because uh, but, it totally got you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But nowadays, someone would have been like, it's not about this. Like, but I don't I, I don't listen to people's you know. You know, jibber jabber and online. Like, I mean, if, I, if I'm reading something, it's because I'm like, I mean, I'm either reading it through an actual magazine, uh, you know, physical in hand magazine, or you know, I, I mean, something that is like, you know, like I'm going through and I need to know, you know, who's Samuel Jackson's character. He's this guy. Da, 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 okay, and then you kind of start like making those things. And I just needed a brief synopsis of the movie. And the thing is, once the movie dropped on that Thursday. There was synopsis up. There were synopsis, synopsi, synopses, whatever, uh, that were kind of just laying out the lace basically of the movie. I mean, to me, it didn't take anything away from what was going there. I mean, we knew we were going to see, uh, you know, Dad watches movies differently than we do. You know, sometimes Dad's looking for continuity, Eric. He's always looking for, you know, the, the beer moving in the glass or, the you know, the helicopter having the wrong number. Like, in the land unknown... He loved that the helicopters always have the same number on it. Yeah. Right? All the helicopters have the same number on them. He, that's like his – he's like, that's the best part. I'm like, it's cool. Like, I'm, I'm happy someone had continuity back then. But, like, you know, to me, I don't ever look. Like the number on the – unless it's like, you know, we're going to LV-427, you know, and it's like, oh, no, what time is this? You know, it's not LV-427 or, you know, LV-426, whatever. You know what I'm saying? You know, so – I, but, I think no, I'm going to take my cue from you there, Jay, and I'm going to give the synopsis to the movie right now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> in 1944, in the midst of World War II, two fighter pilots, an American soldier named Hank Marlowe and a Japanese soldier named Gunpei Ikari, parachute onto an island in the South Pacific after a dogfight. 
They both engage in close combat, with Ikari gaining the upper hand, but the fight is interrupted by a behemoth ape known as Khan. In 1973, U.S. government agent Bill Randa hires former British Special Air Service Captain James Conrad, a skilled tracker, to guide an expedition to map out an island known as Skull Island. Their military escort is the Sky Devils, a Vietnam War helicopter squadron led by Lieutenant Colonel Preston Packard and his subordinates, Major Jack Chapman and Captain Earl Cole. The group is joined by pacifist and photojournalist Mason Weaver, who believes the expedition is a secret military operation. Upon arrival at Skull Island, Packard's men begin dropping explosives, developed by seismologist Houston Brox, to map out the island. However, the air unit is attacked by Kong, who kills a number of military personnel and scatters others across the island. Packard regroups with some of the scattered survivors, including his door gunner Relis, pilot General Mills, Cole, Landsat, employee Steve Woodward, and Randa. After being confronted by Packard, Randa reveals his affiliation to the secret government organization Monarch, which was trying to prove the existence of monsters and determine their threat to humanity. The other survivors, Conrad Weaver Brooks, biologist Sam Lynn, soldier Reg Silf Slivko, and Landsat employee Victor Nieves, try to get a rendezvous point to meet a resupply team arriving in three days' time. They encounter local Twi natives and an older Marlow. He reveals that Kong is the island's guardian, worshipped as a god by the natives for protecting the island's inhabitants from many predators, including reptilian underground monsters dubbed skull crawlers. They have killed Kong's ancestors, leaving him as the last of his kind, and one killed Ikari. Packard's group begins making their way to Chapman, whose helicopter crash landed elsewhere. Meanwhile, Chapman is ambushed and eaten by a skull crawler. Conrad's group helps Marlowe complete a boat built from parts scavenged from Marlowe and Ikari's down planes. They ride the boat down the river and manage to secure communication with Packard's crew, but the boat is attacked by a pterosaur-like creatures which kill Nieves. They regroup with Packard, who insists on searching for Chapman, though his true objective is to find and kill Kong. Marlowe leads the two groups to a mass grave littered with bones of Kong's kind. There, the same skull crawler that killed Chapman attacks the group, killing Randa and many soldiers before dying in a flammable gas explosion triggered by Weaver. Learning about Chapman's death, a vengeful Packard blames Kong for the deaths of his men and becomes determined to kill him. The two groups part ways with Packard's group laying a trap for Kong, while the non-military personnel head back to the boat. While scouting the path ahead, Conrad and Weaver encounter Kong close up and resolve to save him. As Conrad and Weaver encounter Kong, Packard's group triggers napalm explosions to lure Kong in. Kong charges to the lake where they manage to incapacitate him with ignited gasoline, though Woodward is killed. Conrad's group arrives and persuades the other soldiers to spare Kong, but Packard refuses to stand down. Then a massive skull crawler emerges from the lake and Packard is crushed to death by a recovering Kong. The skull crawler overpowers Kong and chases the humans. Cole is killed in a failed suicide bomb attempt to kill it, but Kong returns to rescue the others and kills the beast by ripping out its innards. He saves Weaver from drowning as she had been knocked into the water during the fight and allows the surviving humans to leave the island. 
During the credits, Marlo returns home, reuniting with his wife, meeting his son for the first time, and watching a Chicago Cubs game on television. In a post-credits scene, Conrad and Weaver are detained by Monarch and informed by Brooks and Lynn that Kong is not the only monster to roam the world. As proof, they are shown archive footage of cave paintings depicting Godzilla, Rodan, Mothra, and King Ghidra. Yeah, so, I mean, the thing, uh, you know, Jay made the point before the synopsis that, you know, there, there's not, we kind of knew what we were getting with this movie. Um, there, there's, a, there's a British saying that's become popular in the last 10 years here in this country that I really like. It says it does what it says on the tin. And what that means is, is that it delivers exactly what it promises. And this is a movie about, about Skull Island. It's right there in the title. And who's the biggest and baddest dude on Skull Island? Well, it's King Kong. And speaking so, of that, you know, like, what were your expectations going in? I'm going to start off by saying what, what I thought, what I wanted. Because uh, I, I remember talking to the guys I work with beforehand, and we had different expectations. Uh, one of the guys I work with, you know, was kind of down on it going in because he wanted something a little bit, you know, deeper and more, you know, more in the way of story. And what I said, no, you know, I said, when I'm going to this movie, I'm basically looking for giant monsters fighting each other. And then you're going to have to have some human characters to have some interaction and have point of view characters in there. But basically what I'm looking for is King Kong in a Jurassic World type setting. Mm. And I think the movie pretty much delivered on what my expectations were as far as that goes. But I'm curious, you know, as uh, Monster Files what you guys were expecting going in and to what extent it either lived up to your expectations or disappointed you. Well, the thing I, I've always, I've always uh, in my mind divided. I think I talked about this when we did King Kong month, you know, back in hallowed antiquity here on two true freaks is that King Kong to me exists as a three, you know, in three main acts, right? You have the journey to skull Island, which is kind of an adventure in and of itself. You have on Skull Island, right? And then you have New York. And, you know, uh, we get that in uh, uh, Cooper's Kong. We get that in the De Laurentiis Kong. We get that in, in the Jackson's Kong. Because that they're all ba essentially telling the same story. Here, you know, by specifically calling it Kong Skull Island and making a point that the film was set on Skull Island and was not going to be another retelling of the classic King Kong story. Uh, that kind of set me up with this idea that, okay, we're going to be focusing on what is essentially Act 2 of the King Kong story, which is Skull Island, right? Which is, to me, was, was a great idea because Skull Island is this fascinating place we learned so little about. Even in Jackson's Kong, we learned very little about Skull Island because, by definition, our characters that are our point of view are outsiders, you know, they, they are freshed on Skull Island. They don't know what the hell's going on any more than we do. Here, by introducing John C. Riley's character, you know, by having, um, um, I don't have his name here in front of me, uh, but having our pilot there as, our as one of our identification characters, he is there to provide us with some plot exposition, but also to kind of make us, you know, flesh out this, 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 loca this locale this wonderful locale that they've set this movie in. And so I thought that it, it delivered exactly what I was looking for was an action adventure jungle action movie with, with lots of monsters in it. But, you know, it, I thought it, it kind of exceeded it because I was not expecting the amount of humanity in the film that we get. 
you know, primarily from John C. Riley, you know, who is yeah. uh, just just such a great, you know, for a guy primarily known for doing comedy, Riley can do serious stuff. Um, he does doesn't get an opportunity usually, but even here he's he's a little off kilter, so he gets a chance to be a little silly, but uh, ultimately is kind of the heart of the movie, m- much more so than than Tom Hiddleston or Brie Larson. And, um, you know, Samuel Jackson's character, again, provides humanity kind of in a different way, in an antagonistic way. But, yeah, I thought it definitely lived up to what I was expecting and actually surpassed my expectations pretty much on, on most fronts. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing with John C. Riley, he plays Hank Marlowe. That's the... Hank, that's the his guy. name. Hank, yeah, right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if they ever call him Marlowe. They call him Hank. Um, well, it's Jack the, the thing, Marlowe on it, doesn't it? At yeah, some point? Right, it does, yeah. 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 <laughs> what I'm saying is, but his whole thing is, uh, I mean, he's there, obviously, to you know give you the story, you know, help the story move along. He's the he's the the link that can tie you know man into what's going on and all that other stuff. To me, um, I think uh, Tom Hiddleston, you know, basically Loki, you know, uh, yeah. and and Brie Larson, um, you know, I mean, that's they play that's what he plays. James Conrad, she plays Mason Weaver. They are. They they are there because they need to be, but they're not essential to the like. They're not like. I think if if uh, if we want to look at like something that I mean, not that they were bad, but like okay, great. Like to me, neither one of them were like the oh my god characters. Like you just don't feel as connected to them. It's like okay, they're there, they do their parts and whatever. But I think you're supposed to connect with uh, John C. Riley much more because you know you feel bad. This guy's been asylum forever. Like. You know, him. He he says he goes. Uh, he says it, he didn't say it. To, he goes. We, we, are we winning the war? Which <laughs> war? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Like that's how that's how out of it. You know, because he's been there for so long, and you're supposed to. I think you're supposed to do that. I mean, and and you're not supposed to like uh, Samuel Jackson as Packard. You're not supposed to like him. Like, but he's you not can. The, but you can identify uh, with Packard because right. you're. You know, you you can understand the position he's in. He's looking. You know, Packard. He's he's. You know the. Um, and actually, I thought it was—I thought it was uh, not a, you know, a fairly modernist touch, but not a, not an unwelcome one. The idea that you've got the soldier who now doesn't have a war, because there right. were—I mean, there were a lot of guys like that. These lifer guys that you know, the military was their life in that time, and especially you know the the lack of opportunities that were going to be available to you in civilian life when when you got out and the war was over and you were back in the world. That there were guys that this is what they wanted. You know, I, you know, uh, if you ever if you ever get an opportunity, read Frederick Forsyth's *The Dogs of War*. He talks about a lot of these guys that, for different countries, that were that were soldiers that you know couldn't deal with going back to civilian life, and so that's why they ended up becoming mercenaries, and in, in, yeah. in you know in um, Rhodesia and in, uh, in, in Africa and other parts of hotspots in the world after Vietnam. You know, so Packard, like I said, he's. You can't. You're not supposed to sympathize with him, but he brings a lot of humanity to it. But in, like I said, in an antagonistic way because he is directly opposed to the character we all like the best, which is Kong. You know, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying this. I mean, but you know, you, you definitely can tell that even from the very beginning. The one thing that Dad pointed. I mean, I said to Dad too, and and he agreed with me again. Um, you know, our dad. I mean, he never, thankfully, had ever had. I never had a fight in Vietnam, but my our dad was in the army and stuff like that, and. Um, when they're on the base and the way the guys are acting, the way things look, it all looks real and genuine. Like it, that's the. It's not like you know people are wearing like clothes that you know. Well, I guess that could have existed, but it's the army. Like so, 
the the you know the music they're listening to, the fact that everyone's smoking, the fact that all the like it's all that stuff that was Vietnam that like looks real, and you definitely feel, you know, when 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 they tell him, well, we got one last mission, and he's, it's, I mean, shy of of Samuel Jackson fist pumping right to that point, you know, kind of thing, like yes, you know, he's so excited because it's not over yet, and it and even though every one of his guys he's promised it's done, we're going home. We got one more to do, and you can see them like, okay, and they're loyal to him, which is, you know, I mean, it's 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 hard because you know they're not they're not going into a good situation. You know what I'm saying? Like you're like, oh, okay, this is not going to end well for all of you guys. You know, especially those of you who I don't know your names off the top of my head. Uh, you're not on here. Your name's not in the marquee. I don't know you. Like, okay, here's your red shirt, and you can you know, kind of, <laughs> to use a Star Trek term. Um, but for the as for the movie itself, uh, I mean, I mean, the movie blew me away. We, Dad and I, 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 and I know Luke's talked about this. Dad and I did not plan on seeing it in 3D IMAX, um, but they moved the times around and then didn't fix those times online. So Dad and I got there, and the only way we could see it was in 3D IMAX. Now Dad doesn't wear glasses, um, but I do. So to me, I've kind of gotten used to the idea of just fixing them on my face. And once the movie starts, it takes me like a minute or two, and then my eyes just say, "Okay, this is what it's going to be like." But the 3D IMAX, when we saw it, um, there actually was the, the Dunkirk, the 10 minutes of Dunkirk piece that went ahead of it, which was phenomenal. And by the time that was done, you were so immersed in everything that's going on, it wasn't a problem. But what, you know, seeing it like that, seeing it in, in the, the you know the big the the and the, uh, the IMAX, where everything's bigger than life. Now Kong is even bigger on the screen, and you know, I mean, the 3D is not like hey things are coming. It's not like it's not like watching, uh, uh, like, um, Friday the 13th Part 3 when the broom handle's coming at you, or the yo-yo, or whatever, or even Jaws 3D when <laughs> bad stuff happens the entire movie, and SeaWorld takes it. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you, you, that bigger-than-life thing, I, you know, that seeing this bigger-than-life and the depth of the screen and stuff, it kind of made you feel like you were there. Um, and I think some of that has to do with the storytelling and the fact that the, the special effects, you can't tell where you know reality ends and the effects begin i think that's a great um you know i think that speaks highly to the effects they used one of the keys that i know uh gets brought up a lot is when you look at the effects let's say in like the lord of the ring trilogy and the hobbits and stuff like that when, when peter jackson you know used um you know um the, the weta studios and stuff like that he, those effects were so seamless that you forget sometimes that you're watching, you know, an animation happen. Kong doesn't look like an animation. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. yeah. I think I think I think that's one of the big things with this movie is that, um, you know, could it have been like I see? I think of like De Laurentiis's King Kong to me. Um, again, it has its its pluses and its minuses. It just always is a. You can tell it's a guy in a suit. And there's nothing wrong with being a guy in a suit, but when you grew up watching King Kong, you know, who was stop-motion animation, and and then you see a guy in a suit, you're like, oh, it's still a guy in a suit. But it wasn't guy in a suit like it was in Japan, where that's what they did. You know what I'm saying? It just felt out of place. I, th I, th I think of, um, what is that, King Kong Lives? Is that the one with the female that's, Kong? And Yeah, that's, King, that's yeah, the sequel King to the, yeah. uh, the, well, the sequel yeah. to the 76 De Laurentiis Kong. Right, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that one always kind of felt like, I mean, that's got, got a weird story, like Kong sitting in the Everglades, snapping alligators' necks and eating them. Um, but, like, it, it just that just seemed wrong, too. This Kong here seemed like a real being. And I understand it was it was all CG, but it's the same way with Godzilla. It's the same way with the, the legendary Godzilla. That Godzilla has mass and size and every, it's not it's not smooth. It's not it's not it's not too smooth, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sometimes with digital it becomes too smooth and too whatever, so Well, well the uh, other I'm curious I, what you guys think, some of the choices they made in the movie. What do you think of them having a I guess seventy foot Kong as opposed to a twenty five foot Kong? So I, I think some of that choice has to be with the they they wanted to make him by having Kong only be twenty feet tall in in nineteen thirty three you know the Empire State Building was the tallest building in the world right and we now know that I mean it's obviously it's no longer the tallest building in the entire world right so the I think our world has gotten bigger like the way the the audience viewing it their world has gotten bigger so the monster has to be bigger. It's the same way, I think, um, I mean, technically, doesn't Godzilla change size, right, Luke? He gets Godzilla changes bigger. size in just about every movie he's in. I mean, right. in the but, 90s... But is that, a, is that a, like, a feature to his character, or is that just how he's in, portrayed in the different movies? In the 1990s, it was part of his character, because uh, in the Heisei films, starting with Godzilla, um, what we would call Godzilla 1985 here in the States... And running through the running through Godzilla versus Destoroya in uh, 1995, every time that G would um, absorb more nuclear material or mm-hmm. destroy another monster, he would actually get bigger to the point that one of the one of the motivations for Godzilla versus Destoroya was to kill off this gigantic Heisei Godzilla so they could make a smaller guy so they could make uh, you know do the sets on a, on an easier scale. The sets mm-hmm. were getting in such a small scale it was getting hard to build them. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it, it didn't bother me at all because, again, being a fan of the of the tokusatsu films, Kong's size varies greatly in those films. You know, in King Kong vs. Godzilla, he's, what, um, he's the same size as Godzilla, so he's like 40 meters tall or whatever it is, and then, then he shrinks back down and King Kong escapes. He's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, small enough to, or short enough, I should say, to climb Tokyo Tower whereas Godzilla, obviously, in the original Godzilla, knocks Tokyo Tower over and is taller than it. And then, you know, in, in, so, and then compare that to, you know, the Miriam C. Cooper Kong, and he's, you know, obviously even a slightly smaller size even than that. So I didn't, it didn't, I, I have no problem with the scale of Kong. I, I liked it because it, it made him, it, it made him seem, in a sense, more aloof. One of the things about Kong is because in his stories, he tends to interact with people, Right, because mm-hmm. he's got to go pick up Anne. Right, he's got to pick up Anne Darrow and climb the Empire State Building. Um, but here now, he was even in, and it made him a little bit. It made him big by making him bigger. It made him hard for him to relate to characters. It would have been odd to see him pick up Brie Larson at this size. But at the same time, one of the things I really liked about the effects is one thing that they were that was uh, talked about. Kind of, I never, I, it, I under, I kind of. I, uh, jo- Jordan uh, Voigt Roberts, who directed this, I, he talked. I, I read an interview with him talking about this after the film, and he made the point that one of the things that they, the elements that they used in their depiction of Kong's eyes, was that they portrayed him um, by looking at uh, images of kids who were like teenagers and had kind of lost, had lost their family. 
and so that they were forced to grow up too fast and they have this world weariness but still a, you know even on a youthful face and that was Khan's story is that is that he's the last one of the uh, of his of his race and that he was but he's still a juvenile you know uh, Hank even says that he's still growing so he had this very much this depth of um, humanity which uh, we get with primate style monsters in general because it's a primate it's you know we, we're more likely to sympathize with them because we understand them they're warm-blooded they're humanoid you know rather than a lizard or an insect type monster which is what we get that Kong fights here what does he fight he fights reptiles and a cephalopod and then there's a giant uh-huh. insect or an ow, arachnid who he doesn't get to fight but man they're those mama long legs are pretty damn cool <laughs> but uh, no I, I really I thought the effects were, were fantastic and I think the way that Kong was portrayed I think he, he was consciously different See, I'm a big fan of Peter Jackson's King Kong. I think I think it needed a little bit of trimming, but a lot of Jackson's mm-hmm. films need a little bit of trimming. But it was such a love letter to Miriam C. Cooper that I could I can't really find much fault with it. Whereas here, uh, I, this is I'm, I'm going to just because I don't want to go too far into that one, but I'm going to uh, criticize the casting of uh, Jack Black as uh, well as, as, his, as his lead in it. I, I I didn't care for that, and I thought I thought you know. You're saying it need a little trimming, I think, is a little bit of an understatement. I think you could have taken a yeah. half an hour out of that movie. Well, yeah, but when your movie's two and a half hours long, a half an hour is a little bit of trimming. I mean, the, the thing <laughs> I always found was funny about Jack Black is, do you know who, that, that Jack Black plays Carl Denham, but do you know who Jack Black is actually portraying in that film? No. Peter Jackson. He's playing Peter Jackson. Yeah. All of his mannerisms, half the lines that Jack Black ad-libbed were Peter Jackson. So yeah. the way that he is acting on uh, when he is in front talking to his actors and emoting as I'm doing up to the microphone there, that is how Peter Jackson behaves when he's talking to his actors and he's giving them direction. So he's actually playing Peter Jackson, which is which is funny if you like ever watch behind the scenes stuff with Peter Jackson. He's like a little kid anyway, you know, in a, in a great big body. So uh, yeah, right. in a giant man's body. <laughs> yeah. So, so that but uh, but again the but again with with Jackson's Kong again it was very much you know his his love letter to Miriam C. Cooper. Right. And, and I don't want to go too like, far on that one because yeah, we we may I, I may I have think, you guys back the, to cover that one at some point. Yeah. Well, I, I but I, yeah. I honestly think that by not by not being the original King Kong story by doing something different, this film g- g- makes great strides and and earns a lot, I think, of its goodwill because it's not the same thing. We've had three versions of that, you know, over since 1933. We've had you know in the last 80 years we've had three versions of that, all of which have devout fan bases, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and and will you know brook lots and lots of debate to this day. We don't need another version of that. Tell us a story with this character. One of the great strengths of the of giant monsters and monsters in general was when we we started to understand that monsters don't have to be just heavies that get killed at the end of the movie and we don't see them again. They don't need to be the deadly mantis or the tarantula or the monsters the ants from them. They can be Godzilla. They can be King Kong. They can be Mothra or Gamera and have personality and have uh, a character. 
and that and not only is that something that we can then use that character to present them to the audience in a way that say that the audience now likes the monster and is interested in what the monster is going to do because they have a character and a personality now from the other standpoint we can then market that monster and that's yeah. you know that so that's uh and and say hey you know you like king kong right well he, he's gonna fight godzilla and you're like oh crap king kong's gonna fight godzilla that'll be awesome so I, I i was i was very happy with the way kong was portrayed here because he's you know he like i said there's a performance there he behaves like an animal but he has enough humanoid uh, type of tendencies that we can identify with them and, and again we're i always say that we're more prone to sympathize and identify with a simian monster than any other type just because of our shared heritage and uh, you know, so there's this little character things. Like I, I mentioned, um, bef- uh, or I think before we were on the air, I mentioned the fight with, uh, or maybe it was on the air, the fight with the giant octopus. Right before uh-huh. that, when he is clearly not in the best, he, he's he's hurting, and he's just kind of sitting in the river and he's trying to get a drink, and all the water yeah. is flowing through his fingers, and it's but it's it's just a little character moment, you know, because that's one thing Dad was asking me for. Like, well, what does he eat if he's going to get this big? You know, and it's like, well, there's lots well, of crap might, to the, eat on on Skull yeah. Island, right? Apparently, there's giant octopuses and giant spiders, and you know, yeah. uh, uh, skull you laugh, and all you, that. You laugh, but that was Dad's big concern. Is <laughs> as soon as we like the thing just was announced at San Diego Comic Con. There's just the 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 teaser poster that came out, which you took the black black light to, and showed you all this other cool stuff on there. And Dad goes to Luke. First thing he asks Luke, what's he gonna eat to get this big? And I'm like, oh, God, Dad, that's what you're thinking? Like, you're willing to believe there's a giant monkey, but not that there's anything he could possibly eat. Dad goes, well, that's a lot of bananas, Jay. I was yeah. like, oh, God. <laughs> Again, so. getting, back, getting back to King Kong lives, that's a lot of bananas. You know, they dump it in yes. there for Mrs. Kong. Yeah. I, I just as an aside, I, I I don't like the movie King Kong Lives, but I got to give credit to a movie that stars King Kong that rips off the end of Spartacus. You got to give it points for Hutzpah, <laughs> if nothing else. I, I expected all the other giant names to be like, "I am Kong." No, no, I am Kong, but you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the things, like Luke, like Luke was just saying, Luke was just saying that the the Kong has very human has very humanoid characteristics and things like. That. I think making Kong here not look like, um, obviously, the original King Kong or even Peter Jackson's King Kong, but making him more human, he actually reminds me more of the apes from the new Planet of the Apes series, right? You know, with with the new one, War of the Planet of the Apes, coming out this summer. I I see that being, instead of making him... You know, completely hunched over, walking on, you know, walking with it, with you know, like the way Peter Jackson made Kong, or even the way that uh, that Ray had uh, that Ray Harry, um, the Wills O'Brien, yeah, portrayed Kong, right? Uh, and even 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 the way uh, Baker did Kong in '76. Uh, right. I think what we see here is the, the an evolution of that character to so something we had never seen before, mm. and I really like the fact that that they he's got scars. And he's got you can see he's got big scars on him. He's not this. He's not pristine. He's not perfect. He's just a he's a battle damaged king. I think um, re- remember at the the end of Conan the Destroyer when it shows Schwarzenegger sitting on the throne, right? And his hand, hand his, he's got the beard and he's just looking old. Yeah. 
and it says that's a story for another day you're like man that's a good story right there that's a guy who's seen some stuff we're looking at kong here he's not you know this he's he's not he's he has clearly been damaged in battle he's clearly you know had a fight to survive and we're seeing where he's drinking the water right what happens out of nowhere, he just grabs the octopus. Rah, rah, got him, you know, kind of thing. And then my, my favorite part is, of course, when he sucks up the, the tentacle into his mouth. He, you know, sucks it right up in his mouth. You know, like like it's so much like spaghetti, you know, kind of thing. Like just going in right, at the end, yeah. and it's just it's little things like that that I think some people miss because they're going in and they're like, well, I want it to be bop 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 bop. It's hard when you kind of put things on a movie. Because you want it to be something that it might not be. Does that make sense? You know, it's like oh yeah, like, yeah. If you, what, what if you go in, go yeah, what you're saying, yeah. All, all I was going to say is the, I have the I have the perfect example of that. It, it's um, where where a, you you don't like a film because of expectations that the film never claimed they were going to deliver. Um, way back when I was in college, the movie Sleepy Hollow was coming out, right? Mm-hmm. And we were all excited about Sleepy Hollow because one, we're all from New York, and we've all been there, you know. <laughs> and and two, and I mean that literally. All three of us are are, are at least at, I'm I'm an expat New York, but New Yorker, but we're all New Yorkers here. Um, but at the time, also because we understood that it was going to be uh, Tim Burton doing a Hammer movie, which is what it is. Yes. Right. Yeah. But I remember a person on a game I played on being like, you know, incredibly upset that it wasn't a gothic detective story. And I said, what about any of these commercials has said to you that it's going to be a Gaston Leroux or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle detective story? What exactly did you did you get that from? Well, that's what right. I thought it should be. It's like, that's an, I'm like, I'm sorry, but you're an idiot. <laughs> it's like, I went to King Kong. It didn't have any romance in it. It's like, you're a friggin' moron is what you well, are. Th- that yeah. is one of the biggest, the biggest complaints. The yeah. biggest complaints that people have had is that, well, they didn't develop the love story. It, okay, like you're if you're going to Kongasco Island because you want to see a love story between Loki and Brie Larson, then the, you're you're setting yourself up to be disappointed, yep. right? I I think of it like this: when when um when you look at a, like a trailer. Now I know they cut trailers sometimes to make the movie look different than what it is. When you look at every one of the Kongasco Island trailers, not one of them was cut. To make you feel that you were seeing a different movie than was put on the screen. Maybe you didn't know what order things are going to happen. Maybe you didn't know what the final... But whatever. The little details might not be there. But at no time did you look at a trailer for Kongosko Island and go, Huh, I wonder what that's about. You know what I'm saying? Now, they did at times sometimes punch up the, the you know... T- the, um, Thomas C. Riley stuff, you know, like with, oh, you, you're all good boys. You shouldn't have come here. We're all gonna die. We're gonna like, die here. Why, we don't why here. is he laughing? Yeah, right. <laughs> you're like, why is that guy laughing about this? You might not have figured out that maybe he looks and he looks insane, right? You maybe you haven't figured that out yet. But you know what? At no time you're like, oh, it's gonna be a laugh riot. Like if you went into the movie thinking it's a comedy, like, but that's the problem when you put something else on a movie. And I don't mean after, because that's happened, where there's movies that were never meant to meet, make such a huge political statement or make a huge, you know, whatever, and then afterwards they've come to represent that. When you go in trying to force something to be something is certainly not going to be, you're going to be disappointed. But it's, it's, it seems that, that that mentality 
has kind of started permeating things. Well, uh, it's, it's, you know, we, it's we've discussed social media attitude. We've discussed it's, it's that particular thing on the show before, though. How mm-hmm. your expectations going in can have a direct correlation to what you finally think of the movie. So yes. realistically, I don't think the criticism, and this is the criticism of the people, not the movie itself, the criticism of the, of the people who do that is fair if, and this goes to what Luke was saying, if their expectations are realistic under the circumstances. If they've led right. you to believe that you're going to get a story that's going to contain certain things, and it doesn't, and it's otherwise a good movie, but you're disappointed because they didn't give you what you thought you know, or what they told you they were going to give you, I don't. I think you have a valid criticism there. But yeah. if you look at this, as you said, Jason, and you say, where was the love story? Well, you know what? No one ever told you there was going to be a love story. I don't yeah. know why you thought that. You will believe yeah. a monkey can love a girl. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a different movie. But That's I do, a totally I do think, you know, the expectations, movie. it's fair. It is fair for people to rate a movie, at least their initial thoughts of it, based upon their expectations. Right. And then often what happens is if you if your expectations were either not met or unrealistic, then down the road you have a chance to kind of remove yourself from those expectations, and then your review of the movie might be different than it was when you mm-hmm. first saw it. Right. I mean, if you, if you go into this and you... Let's say that you're Joe Bloggs off the street, and you really don't know... You haven't seen commercials for this. You you may be seeing that a new King Kong movie is coming out, and you go in and you're just you're surprised and confused that they don't end up back in New York. I can buy that because that's King mm-hmm. Kong. That that's what yeah. you expect in a King Kong story. Heck, you know the majority of King Kong movies have that in some capacity, right? So if yeah. that that would be an ex- that something is like okay, well that that's a legitimate expectation for King Kong that you know that you could say, well, I really wanted them to go back to New York. Okay, I can I can I can deal with that. I you know again I didn't I don't think that's what was promised, but I can totally understand that. Whereas like you said, expect being complaining that, well you know there's not you know, there's not enough romance, there's not enough human interaction. You know we don't get to learn much about Brie Larson's character. And it's like well okay, I'm fine. You know if if that if that's what you want to complain about, you're going to complain about it no matter what. Right, I mean yeah. to me it's like this movie had so much more human aspect to it than I ever thought they were going to do in this. I mean, to be completely honest, I really thought this was going to be two hours of Geek Show, to be to be completely frank. After mm-hmm. that, that poster that Jay mentioned, and for the listeners who may not be aware of it, the original, um, the, the poster that was released at San Diego Comic-Con for this film, uh, and, and they've used it other places, it's like a satellite photo of Skull Island. And it just says Kong Skull Island, and it has the credits and stuff at the bottom. When you put it under a black light, you can see all the notes that are taken on the satellite photo. And up in the in one of the corners is stamped the Monarch symbol. Monarch being the group that investigates these super species that is the linking connective tissue between Godzilla 2014, this film, and the upcoming sequels. And that's the organization that John Will- John Goodman's character works for. And um, it's uh, the, the couple of the other characters work for as well. It's uh, Corey Hawkins' character of uh, Corey Hawkins' character and uh, Jing Tian, who is there so we can show the movie in China. Um, but so that so but once once I saw that post, and you think I'm joking? No, 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 no I don't. I think I, you're observant. I agree with you, dude. Yeah, yes. So, but uh, you know, we all saw Iron Man three. We know the score. But anyway, uh, but after that poster was released. 
Okay. And as an aside, I love Iron Man 3. But after that poster was released and they showed the Monarch logo and all that, I said, this is going to be... I said, this is going to be just a, a two-hour movie about Kong fighting monsters. And I said, I'm cool with that. That's awesome. You know? I mean, that's basically what King Kong Escapes is, right? Except that it's got yeah. Dig Kong Dig in it, so that's even better. Yeah. But uh, and then we, but, but then, then we go... I, I went and saw the movie. Actually, I saw the movie with my, my friend uh, Kevin. And... Um, and we were both surprised at the amount, like I said, of, of th- that there is a good human story here. And it actually takes the time for several of the characters to be developed enough that you're interested in what's happening to them. Now, I'll agree with Jay. I don't think that um, our, our two ostensible leads here, uh, Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson, are all that interesting. I mean, she she's more interesting than him because I kind of get what they were going with this, that he's this apolitical guy who just doesn't care, just... You know, he, he's he's done his thing, he wants to get his bank on, all that, but he doesn't want to, at the same time, he's, he's more rational and wants to listen. But, you know, he, he kind of fills of um, he fills the role that he has to play, but I'm not a, you know, I, I just never really bought into him. Uh, her as a journalist, I thought, worked, because that's kind of the trope, you know, with the, uh, the female journalist that, it's the Lois Lane thing, you know, it's like you expect the female journalist to cover you know, uh, the, 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 the puff pieces, but she's actually there in the front lines and all that. So as a, as a riff kind of on Lois Lane, I thought she did a good job, but you know, we talked about this, but, but, you know, John C. Riley and, and, uh, Samuel Jackson, the two guys with the, um, the initials, you know, they, they do a, they, they do a good job of actually making the story more than just geek show, more than just Kong fighting skull crawlers and more than mon- uh, just a monster show. So I, like, think I thought that the, uh, the John C. Riley character was probably, as far as the human characters in here, I thought he was the highlight of the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I don't even think it was really that close. Samuel Jackson, I think, plays a part uh, in the story, but I think his character is very one-dimensional, ultimately. Yep. I don't think there's, there's really a lot there. I think the John Riley character was far more interesting. I, I agree. I, I, think, uh, I, I don't know if you need to go much further with with uh with you know um who he calls character i don't think you need to push um um, samuel jackson's character to like a um, like a super deep level no i agree i I think he served his purpose in the movie but i don't think you i don't think you walked away from it saying you know i'd really like to see more of him i think he was kind of you know he was a stereotype effectively he served a purpose in the movie but he wasn't really he was he was never meant to enthrall you yeah, well, I mean, like I said, he's the he's the antagonist, you know, uh, to a to a degree because he he operates at a uh, you know and and a essentially operates a campaign against our hero as, uh, in Kong. You know, he reminded me a bit of the um, the main character from uh, from Godzilla from Godzilla twenty fourteen, whose name I uh-huh. I don't remember at the moment. In that one of the criticisms was like, well, he's really not that interesting. Is like maybe he's just not that interesting a guy. You know, he's a guy who, in that film, was a soldier that was just trying to get home. He's he's a low key guy, you know. Whereas Jackson, oh, you mean, is, okay, you mean Aaron Taylor Johnson? Aaron Taylor Johnson. I don't remember his character's his, name. Yeah, his, oh, his character. Yeah, yeah, is a very low key kind of guy because yeah, he, that's that's Ford who he is. Brody. Brody. Yep. It's yeah, been Brody. A, yeah. Yeah. His dad. Well, the problem is, had all the personality in that film. That's but what I'm saying. He, is Brian Cranston's that movie for five minutes, and that's what they sent it, all the, every trailer on. I mean, they that's a bait and that, switch. That's the thing. That's that is. Yeah, you know, I don't buy that argument. And I never have because it's like really because I never thought that the movie was going to star Brian Cranston, and I didn't read any spoilers. So but you know, thinking, it, but Aaron Taylor Johnson is not feet. I I don't remember him in any of the commercials, 
but you remember Brian Cranston because he's the larger name. Mm-hmm. So right. you're. And I'm saying, even even if it wasn't like I, I didn't think the movie was going to be about him either, because you know clearly it's a Godzilla movie. If that's about Godzilla doing his well, thing, even well, even beyond that, the thing that Tick knows, like, well, Brian Cranston is barely in it. It's like, okay, so because the movie did something that was surprising, you're mad. Well, Got well, it. You know, you but anyway, you, but again, you I don't, I don't want to get debated, into. Uh, I don't want to get into. I don't want to get into Godzilla 2014 yeah. because we've already had a, a well documented argument about that. But <laughs> and, my and, point yeah. is, is that is that you know he's you know some sometimes people just are not the most interesting people, but they have certain aspects that work. That's all I'm saying. But but, but uh, I'm, I'm going to take this to Godzilla 2014 for just a moment, but I'm not going to linger on it. If if you're going to have a character that isn't going to be all that interesting then don't make him your focal point. And that's what they did in Godzilla 2014. Here, we're talking about how Samuel Jackson didn't have any real depth of character. But he wasn't your focal point. He was just your antagonist. And mm-hmm. it made the movie easier to flow along and keep the pacing on what was mm-hmm. a relatively long movie, if I remember correctly, right? It was over two hours, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it yes. allowed the yeah, movie it was, to move it was right. Along. It was... It's right at two hours, 118 minutes. Okay, but it allowed the movie to move along without having to drag and slow down to give you anything more from him than you needed. He, there, there wasn't really a reason for that. You just needed to know what he was doing, why he was doing it, and let's move on. Whereas in Godzilla, think, think, he was more of the focal point of the movie, yeah. and I think it required him to have more personality. Yeah. The other I, thing, too, to think about is Samuel Jackson himself as an actor i i mean i don't remember any movie ever where he is quote you know he is like contained his him as an actor and even if if not even if you you know let's say you're not a big samuel jackson fan or not it's hard for him to be on the screen and acting in a scene where he doesn't command your attention because of the way he acts and the the, his his personality he's he's a very large personality you know what i'm saying and I think the problem is, is that um, um, uh, what's his name? Tom Hiddleston, right? The guy who yeah. plays, you know, like um, I always want to call him low key because that's all I know him as. <laughs> and he might be a great actor, but he does not command your attention. And I think um, we saw this. Uh, uh, there was one of the things that came up in on the um, when we when um, we did the, like the five minute freak about Suicide Squad was the guy who was playing Flag was really not very good in that role because he's just not that guy. And if you can't buy someone as that guy because he just doesn't command the... I mean, you, you're, you have... you have. Um, I mean, even John Goodman, he he's a very... I, mean, I know people think of him as just being the dad from Roseanne, but he's a really good actor. And when he's talking on screen, like you're buying into what he's saying. So that makes it hard sometimes when you're trying to. I mean, if you have characters that maybe are, you know, don't have to be as deep. Samuel Jackson's character, him, the actor, Samuel Jackson playing the role, sucks you in to buying into him. Um, you can buy into jo- John Goodman dressed up to look like. I mean, he, I mean, let's face it, he's dressed up to be Carl Denham. He's wearing almost exactly Carl Denham's outfit, right? Um, a little bigger, but still, you know, you're kind of okay. We got this. You can buy into those characters. I think Brie Larson's not explored a lot because, as Luke said, she's this, the archetype of the female reporter in Vietnam. And while Hiddleston, you know, is not exactly, you know, he's, I mean, I'm, he's, there's nothing against him as an actor, but he just doesn't command your attention. Like, think about this. 
Think of any Schwarzenegger movie where he comes on screen. They don't have to say anything, but you know that guy's important, right? He, you know, it, it's just you just like that guy's got to be important. Look at him. Hiddleston comes on screen unless he's got on his helmet with his his horns and his green <laughs> tights. I mean, I well, don't know if he's important. You know. Well, so. I mean, part of it. I mean, part of it also, I think, is that you know, to me, just because of the role that. Um, that that Conrad James Conrad is Tom Hiddleston's yeah, character. The right, role right, that he Hills. plays in this movie, to me, is less interesting than um, either uh, Packard or uh, Bill Randa, who is John John Goodman's character. Right, I right. thought John Goodman was fantastic in this movie. Oh, I loved him. As, I mean, all the stuff at the beginning with him in DC talking to the secretary and all that, trying to get money and all that. that I thought that was just great. And and as a fan of this universe. Because in addition to Godzilla 2014, they're also uh, legendary published a prequel comic to Godzilla 2014, which takes place, um, I think it takes place in the 60s, uh, you know, detailing some of the stuff that happened before Godzilla 2014. And they're doing a, uh, a, a, a follow-on comic to this film as well. So they're expanding the universe in some of their the comics as well. We've learned a, a, quite a bit about Monarch. And so the way that he's presented here in the 70s is Monarch's basically like every other, you know, uh, underfunded government agency in the 70s. They've got to scrimp and scrap and get everything they can to get whatever they need to do to do this. I thought that was really good. And I really liked Randa as the guy that, you know, he, he knows what's going on, but he's not letting quite everybody know what's going on. Uh, but he's he's not... he's not But he's not like a villainous character about it. He's just a guy that's keeping everything very close to his vest. Uh, and and I like John Goodman in general, so I'm, again I may just be more prone. Same with what you were saying, Jay, about Samuel Jackson. They're 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 right. guys that we like. So um, yeah, and, you and, know, the, I mean, this, this, this... With, real quickly, but the thing with, with John Goodman is he's and, and, I mean obviously John Goodman's lost weight and stuff. He's not he's he doesn't look like Dan Connor anymore. Um, you know, like the Dan, you know, Dan Connor being the dad from Roseanne, yeah. right? You know, he was much bigger then. He was much younger then, of course, and and then that's a comedy. So, you know, whatever else might have been happening, and it's just different. He looks like he looks like a guy who, he, he actually reminds me of John's dad, Mr. Monastery. He looks like that kind of, you know, who's an ex-cop and whatever kind of thing. But he looks like a guy who's like, all right, I've got to get this done. How am I going to get this done? How can I piggyback onto something to get, I've got to get there to get this done. Well, so he's, he's not like, yeah. he's, he's not planning on scheming. That, yeah. No, he, yeah. he, he he's 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 hustling is what he's doing. Yeah, hustling. Yes, right, he, right. He, That's he, wrote, yeah. he strikes me as a guy that he's seen some shit in his days. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And maybe yeah. he doesn't yeah. do it quite to the level anymore because he's getting older, you know. But he knows yeah. how to hustle and, and get on top of stuff. And yeah. uh, you know, so his his ultimate end in this film was a little disappointing to me. But uh, I, I guess you know, it's it's when you got a character that age in a film set in the 1970s, it would be hard to bring him into the modern day. You know, because he would just be, you know, he'd be an old man at that point. He'd turn him, you know, 40 years into the future or whatever. So, but I uh, I saw him as just very world weary. Yeah. For lack of a better description. And I was somewhat disappointed that he met his end. But the way you describe him, I think it makes sense that, that, you know, that that was like the only way he was going to go. He was going to go on these missions until he finally did get killed on one. 
So yeah. it almost seems like a fitting end to the character, I thought. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's devoted his whole adult life to Monarch. He goes out being a Monarch agent, you know, not yeah, right, sitting exactly. at a desk in D.C. Yeah, know, he, was, so. he wasn't going to go back and, you know, have a heart attack and die, you know, at home. That wasn't happening. <laughs> you know, the the, the, the yeah. thing is, though, too, and, and I think this is one of the um, life, when, when you talk about real life, you know, not R E, not and, and not real life with Doctor Bill Robinson, who is unfortunately yes, no. with. <laughs> no. I'm saying when we talk about you know, uh, in in the really real world, like most of the times, the you know, your the end of your life or how how everything turns out is not in spectacular fashion, you know, kind of thing, and and that's true. It's not like wow, oh my god, like you know, I was when we were always younger. It's like well. If I'm gonna go out, let me go out, you know, a bit of bang and take as many people with me as possible, you know, kind of thing. Like that's not how most things happen, right? Him, if if he had been, if he had died, like you know, uh, you know, somehow with a machine gun and doing all this yeah. stuff, that's so not his character. But we gotta give, no, you know what I think of it's like this, and 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 I know this is has nothing to, um, in wrong turn, Jeremy Sisto dies a heroic death. And everyone's like, oh, man, I love that guy. He didn't have to die. Yes, he does. He serves an absolute purpose in the movie. He gets he gets the movie going where it needs to go, and he dies a hero. Goodman's character has nowhere to go. Randa has nowhere to really go, like Luke said. Unless the next movie takes place in 1974, he doesn't have anywhere to go character-wise because you're not going to have a 90-year-old man, you know, like, I remember my day. Like, that's not what's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Because yep. they already have that character. It's Tom C. Riley, because he's he's going to be in real old age man makeup. Remember when I was on that island? You know, kind of thing. Yes, we've heard it. Thank yes, you. Yes, thank you, Grandpa. We're good. He's the character that needed the happy ending, which they gave him. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah. Well, I I loved it that he's sitting there, ha- having a beer and eating a hot dog. You know, um, watching the cubs. And watching the cubbies, and I'm like, man, like. That is that is no, that, and I I know that that actually got a lot of criticism for being that's too cheesy to whatever I'm like you know what fuck you because that's what needs to be there that's what I mean it's ex- but think about that that is so all he wanted mm-hmm. hot dog his girl a hot dog a beer and his cubbies <laughs> and you know what I mean and it wasn't like it wasn't like they made it like oh this and like they picked a year when the Cubs won the World Series because they'd have to wait another like three yeah, decades. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's fine. Well, I like they think. didn't even put him at Wrigley. They put him at home. Which yeah, makes so much sense because that you wouldn't want to go to the friggin' stadium. You'd want to be on your couch. Yeah. Yeah, we're having a beer at home and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's there's a lot in this movie that I know some people like will turn their nose up at things because they're like, Oh, it's too this, it's too that but isn't that part of what makes some movie? Some movies need those things. It needed a happy ending for him. He's a very important character for the whole story. Even though at first people were like, well, what can he be? Kind of a throwaway character? No, he's certainly not a throwaway character. I definitely like what he called. It. I gotta admit, the and we haven't talked about this. The very beginning of the movie when they crash on and and he shoots, he fires all his bullets, <laughs> misses. <laughs> Right? And then the guy's chasing him, and then when Kong comes up, and we were, what, two minutes into the movie? Three minutes into the movie? And then Kong's there, and you're like, whoa, like, okay, like, it's on. It is on. And the funny part is, 
I just, it's not funny, haha, funny, but it's kind of right. Uh, like I said, Dad and I saw it in 3D IMAX. We had seen the 10 minutes of Dunkirk, which when you, uh, if you ever get this, and I know it's hard to see because it's not anywhere online. Um, that 10 minutes just blew. I mean, everyone in the audience, there was not one person in that audience who was like, "What the hell is that?" Like everyone's like, when 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 it, when it you know when the 10 minutes kick off and it, it says Dunkirk coming, whatever, everyone's like, "Oh my God, I want to see that right now." What happens? Uh, Island opens with a dog fight. We just had a dog fight in Dunkirk, and it opens with that. It was like, hey, wait, is this the movie starting again? You know, um, it just, I think sometimes, you know, happy accidents happen. They purposely, you know, kind of that was put there because it was opening weekend and whatever, and it piggybacked well into the movie. But the opening scene's cool on the island. Just, you know, he throw, he, he's throwing his bullets away like candy. That's the old uh, Sin City line, right? Yeah. Um, but it just again, this movie has a lot in it. I, I the other thing I thought was great, and and it's a little tiny scene. It's nothing special. When John Goodman's uh, when when they see Kong's handprint on the on the on the side of the mountain, right, the the face of the mountain, yeah. And John Goodman holds his hand up next to it. That's just a little scene, and I'm like, oh, that's so freaking cool. Because someone had to think about it. and I don't know if it was in the script or if it was ad lib or whatever, but there's this giant hand and you hold your hand up next to it, you know, for forced perspective to kind of get the idea that like, well, that's definitely humanoid in nature. It's not reptilian in nature. It's not whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's just that kind of yeah. like that connection moment because Kong doesn't have a lot of connection to these people except he's protecting them even though they came here to piss, like, like they came to piss in his cornflakes, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, well, and, you don't go and, to somebody's you know, house and start dropping bombs, you know. That's right. Yeah, so, but it's. I mean, but the, you know, it's true, but it's just. I don't know. Well, I mean, and and the thing that that you know, I, I think uh, we we've been kind of not so much dancing around it, but we haven't really gotten to it. Is that I, I said at the start that I thought this movie was going to be just a lot of monster geek show, and it actually had a lot of humanity. There's a whole lot of monster geek show in this. Yeah. There's and it is really damn good stuff. It's entertaining. It's enjoyable. Monster fights, you know. I mean, I understand that that I'm supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, a little bit more uh, expect more out of film because uh, you know that we can't just have films that are fun anymore. Films have to mean something. Well, screw that noise because this movie had King Kong <laughs> fighting all sorts of friggin' monsters and it was it was like it was on like Donkey Kong, you know. And yeah. this, I mean, the 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 fight with the skull crawlers, with with the, the oh, extended yeah. sequence with that at the end, with the anchor, was just was just friggin' oh, that was so boss. That? How you know? great is the anchor? I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Well, one thing I want to throw out there before I forget this, the the when when they, when when they're when they're setting up the machine gun, he says that they sit on the 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 fate the skeleton remains of a of a um, triceratops. Triceratops. That he's and he's got the gun set up and just shooting off the front. That visual is so cool, and I don't think I've ever seen that visual before. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's just so different. I'm like, wow, someone had to think about that. To me, like when you see things, you're like, oh, that's that reminds me of this. That reminds me of that movie. I don't ever remember anywhere seeing the you know the the front of a uh, you know a dinosaur with a machine gun coming out of it. I mean, not even in Iron Sky did they have that you know kind yeah. of thing. Iron Sky too, yeah. Iron Sky 2 didn't even happen yet. So that's what I mean. Um, yeah. 
But yeah. uh, no, but I mean, so even so, don't please don't misunderstand if you haven't seen this. This is not a movie about about a giant ape with feelings, you know, other than the feelings of bashing things in the face until they're dead. Because yeah. this is, I mean, th- this movie brings it from the spectacle standpoint. And again, I, I know that nowadays we're supposed to turn up our noses at spectacle, but the hell with that. This was this was friggin' fantastic as a as a giant monster fan. There there are few things in life as pleasurable to me as going to the movie theaters and watching monsters fight. And this delivered that in spades. Like I said at the top, does what it says on the tin. Because mm-hmm. I expected Kong to be fighting monsters on Skull Island, and so help me God, that's what we got. And yeah. I am so I was I was so pleased. I was pleased as punch with that. Because that's what I wanted out of this. I want if you're gonna set a movie on Skull Island, an island full of monsters, then you better have monster fights on it. I totally and, uh, agree with you on that. That yeah. was like I said, my you know, when people asked me what my expectations were, I said Jurassic World because that was what that was. That was big monsters fighting yes. each other. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and it definitely delivered on that. Uh, one of the thoughts I had, and I don't know if this is a good thought or not, honestly, and I think you guys would have a better perspective on it than me. Uh, do you think it would have been a good thing to have the boss battle against a somewhat known monster? You know, some yeah. some some you know some creature who had been in one of the prior monster movies in the last fifty years, sixty years. I, I would say I don't, no. Yeah, I would I think say that no. Takes away, that he, takes away from Khan. Right. I why well, yeah. I, well, that and I think what they've established is that on this island, there's there's things that live underneath, and when you wake those things up, bad things are going to happen. So if what came out of the ground was something we already knew. You know what I'm saying? It was like, like I mean, not that it would have been, but if it was like ti- Titanosaurus, let's say. I'm just yeah. picking a Godzilla villain. And, you know, we'd be like, oh, it's Titanosaurus. It's like, you you want to have, like, you've seen these skull crawlers, and you're like, man, these guys are no joke. Well, there's got to be something bigger than them, and it's going to be the bigger version of them, like the bigger badass version, you know what I'm saying? Like, Well, John C. Riley gives you the heads up on that fairly early on, too. Well, right. What I'm saying is, like, but if he, but the thing, but if underneath the ground there were all different kinds of things, so we don't know everything that lives under there, obviously. But there's clearly things that are living there, and if there's these skull crawlers, which are good size, then there's got to be a big version. There's got to be like a big daddy version of that. You it's know what I'm saying? Be an alpha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, if the and, and in, in a lot of the tie-in material, they've expanded on. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say in the tie-in material, they've expanded on the on the the flora and fauna on the island yeah. with all sorts of, of new stuff that's on there so I, I, I agree I, I think that at this point it, you know it, I had I remember the same uh, um, again not to keep referencing it but I remember uh, a similar question being asked um, for Godzilla 2014 it's like well I really want Godzilla mm-hmm. to fight Rodan or King Ghidorah it's like yeah except that the movie this, this is Godzilla's star turn you know we don't yeah. he fought, fights the, the Muto because he needs somebody to fight but the Mutos are not, you know, a, 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 a classic... They're not part of the monster pantheon at this point. Kong... If Kong fights Baragon... Let's say Baragon burrows his way out from under under Skull Island. Yeah, that's cool from... from I, hey, it's Baragon. Everybody likes Baragon, yep. you know? But uh, but I, I'd, I'd prefer Kong fighting... This, this is his domain. So these are unique monsters here. We're going to see Kong fight monsters that we know. You know, that's the promise, right? So I, I agree. Letting him fight his his boss battle against the skull crawler when is the big the big daddy skull crawl. I like that. 
I think that it, it, it doesn't take away from Kong's presence and doesn't introduce an additional character into the additional monster character into the film, which, you know, we'd have to say like, wow, okay, well this guy does this, this and this or whatever. Or, you know, like to use Jay's example, it's like, oh, well, you know, this, you know, suddenly we have a, a monster that, you know, can flap his tail and cause hurricane winds or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. that's Titanosaurus yeah. for those who may not yeah. know. But, uh, so, I mean, if you think about it also is when he's fighting, I mean, Again, we we know the the classic Kong story. He fights the the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex in thirty three, the giant snake in seventy six, and then he fights the V Rexes, you know, in uh, in in Peter Jackson's version, right? It's it's to me kind of still paying homage to the idea of what he's fighting at the end because it's the T Rex doesn't have a name. It's not like, Oh man, that's, you know, like, you know, whatever the heck the name is. It's, it's not, it's not a character. It's not Gorosaurus. Gorosaurus not, yeah. Right. Right. It's just a T Rex. He's fighting. It's just a snake. They're fighting. It's just the giant, you know, uh, predator that he's fighting. And that makes perfect sense in here as something to tie it into the other Kong movies as still part of like the normal thing. And could be there. But you know what though, too? I mean, it, he'd have to kill whatever he's fighting. And if you have a name, you know, if you have another name there and he's got to kill that off, it's like this, to use a wrestling analogy, um, if you're, if you have your mains, your, your main guy fight the other main guy, whoever it might be, heel and face all the time, nothing special anymore. But if you're, if your heel goes out there and just, wins, you know, beats a jobber after jobber after jobber, and then eventually you get to that, we used to be called the gatekeeper. Uh, Junkyard Dog was a gatekeeper. Guys like that were gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. They were the guy you wrestled before you wrestled Hulk Hogan, you know? Right? right. To build that heel. He So he's beat all the jobbers. He's beat SD Jones, and he's beat, you know, uh, you know, the Corporal unpredictable Kirshner, Johnny Rods. Yeah. Right, exactly. All those guys, yes, Johnny Rods. All those guys have been beaten. Now you get to JYD, and you beat JYD, the next step is Hulk Hogan. Well, let's happen. Kong has beaten down all the skull crawlers. He's he's killed. He ate the he ate the octopus for Christ's sake. I mean, that is I love that scene. It's and that's great. why he's so big. Like, tell you dead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh no, no, no Dad, Dad was right on no. board with that. He said, yeah. "Oh, he, he, he eats a lot of." What he said to me, he's like, oh, "Obviously, he eats a lot of sushi." Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm saying, but as soon as Dad saw that, and he was exactly, like, he was happy. Like, like pricks sense, you know. Um, but that's what I'm saying is, once you get to that level. Now we've seen him beat. I mean, it, that fight is crazy at the end. With the, as Luke said, with the with the chain and the and the um, propeller, and it's just a great scene. Um, now, when he has to, now he has to keep growing, but he has to now fight. You know, name monsters. Well, you know, at some point you got to face the champ, and we all know the champ is Godzilla. Yeah. You know, I know it's King Kong, but Godzilla well, is the you know champ. What I, but you know what I thought was what was an interesting. Uh, they didn't come right out and say it, but they basic. But John Cena basically says it. You know, Doctor Serizawa in Godzilla oh, yeah. 2014. They constantly refer to to G as the ape as the alpha predator. You know, the apex predator, if you prefer. You know, like uh, like Randy Orton. Randy friggin' Orton, but uh, so so, but in so so he is the apex predator insofar as his domain that he lives in, right? Well, Kong right. is the apex predator here. Kong is as you know nothing. There's nothing above Kong on the food chain at this point, because anything that could potentially prey on him, he kills. 
So you yeah. now you've you've got this setup, and again, and John Cena says, "Well, that's Kong. He's king around here, you know. He, he he's uh-huh. pretty. He's a pretty good king too. Mostly keeps to himself. Sounds a lot like Godzilla, who you know yeah. basically keeps to himself unless there's something out here that he needs to fight. So now right. you've got this idea. It's a very fanish sort of idea, but hey, I'm down with that. That you've got the two apex predators that right. are destined to meet now because you're gonna obviously it's either Kong's got to end up off of Skull Island, or Godzilla's got to end up on Skull Island, right? So you've got to have these two apex predators meet. It's the, you know, the immovable force and the, irres- the irresistible force and the immovable object. Move a lot. That's and, right. And continue the wrestling as analogies. Yeah. So well, it's going to be I interesting it, how you're going to present it because in Godzilla 2014 and in this movie, right. they are both presented as a protagonist. Neither one is evil. Neither one is somebody who you root against. I mean, neither one is necessarily motivated by doing good for people or anything, necessarily. Uh, but they they are seeing the more vile creatures and taking them out. Well, I think so now when I they're facing that's... off against each other, how are you going to present it? Is it going to be good guy against good guy? Are they going to eventually team, you know, is it going to be Marvel Comics fashion? And they're going to team <laughs> well, up I... at the end to fight some well, bigger I'm saying threat? Is, I mean... But the, and, and we haven't mentioned this yet, but the 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 end the the not Easter egg, but the the post credit sequence. Thank you. I wasn't going to call it Easter egg. It's not the the cave drawings that show the bad guy they have to fight. Because let's face it, in in the the world of of Kiaju and all all Dai Kiaju and all that stuff, King Ghidorah is a bad guy. There's no doubt about it, whether you can say Rodan, well, in this movie, whatever, and Godzilla's a bad guy here, whatever. The bad guy is King Ghidorah. Is yeah. that on point, Luke? I mean... Yeah, yeah, is, there's, is, a, there's a reason his nickname is the King of Terror. Yeah. And it's not King, because, you know, King, King Ghidorah is bad news, no matter what. He is only one time has he ever played a protagonist, and he wasn't supposed to be a protagonist. He was a late, relatively late addition. And that was in GMK, where he is a he is one of the guardian beasts. Uh, right. No, but in the introduction in the cave paintings. First off, I'd like to say that I love the bit when you know after we sit through the credits, and it's just dark, and we hear it's like, "Don't you feel foolish sitting here in the dark?" You know, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was just a great. I was like, "Huh?" Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but but the introduction in the cave paintings of Rodan, Mothra, and King Ghidorah. You know, even though we, we, we knew that they that that legendary had the right the ability to use them, putting them in that way and showing them as these other legendary beasts, I thought was was really clever, because now you you know you don't have to introduce them all at, all at once because we already know they're there. Um, and the thing is, and to get back to what you were you were asking Paul about how are we going how are they going to be presented that they're going to have to fight. I think the very fact that both of them, like I said, are, are apex predators, now that's yeah. how you do it. Because, you know, Godzilla's never never had to face something like Kong. Kong's never faced Godzilla. They're the two top dogs, you know. It, and when you got the two top dogs in the yard, one dog's gonna not going to take lightly to another dog being in his yard. So, you know, it's, it's when you get... Uh, you know, it, it that that it's almost like um, you, to keep the concrete thing going. It's like if you got the Hulk and Solomon Grundy, they're not necessarily have any philosophical differences, but both of them are the strongest there is, and they're gonna beat the living tar out of each other. I think Godzilla doesn't care if he sees something as a threat; he's going to attack it. And same with Kong. 
especially considering Kong's per, um, you know, uh, like, you know, history of, of killing reptilian monsters, as we see in this film, you know, I mean, Godzilla's the biggest reptile there is. So I think that's how you that's that's how you put them together. You you get them, yeah. put them in the same spot, and like Doctor Serizawa said, let them fight. Let nature take its course. Yeah. You know? Or I mean, think about this. You or you do like in the original, and you airlift Kong to where Godzilla is. Yeah. Well, I was about to say, I was like, or somebody's like, oh, I want my own monster. That <laughs> was presented as Kong being the savior that was coming in to 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 take Godzilla away from the uh, you know where he could do the damage and everything. Yeah. So. You know, effectively, Godzilla was the heavy in that. Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. Kong was the yeah, baby yeah, yeah. face. Oh, Kong yeah. is, yeah. Kong, God, that That's the funny thing, is that Kong has always been so popular in Japan that, yeah. you know, they, 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 even to this day, they love King Kong in Japan. And so he will always be a baby face in Japan. He will never play the heel. Uh, so it's going to be interesting how they're going to do it here. Are they, are they going to make Godzilla the heel again? Yep. Or are they going to make them somehow both baby faces? In which case, I think you know, like you said, maybe you got to have King Ghidra or something, so that w- after the two face off, you have them fight to a draw, and then they team up to fight the bigger threat. Yeah, yeah well, that, I mean, that, that may be a, the way to go. Yeah, yeah, there is there is a history of that in the Godzilla series. I mean, the film that introduces King Ghidra, which is creatively titled Ghidra, the Three Headed Monster. Um, you know, Godzilla and Rodan. <laughs> Are, that is the first time they meet, and they are presented as just absolute rivals who will do anything they can to keep fighting each other. Because the first time that God, Godzilla comes ashore in, um, in Tokyo, and he looks up and he sees Rodan flying overhead, and he is immediately transfixed by Rodan. And then the two seek each other out and just fight for almost the entire running time until the very end when King Ghidorah finally uh, makes, his, uh, you know, makes his appearance on the mainland. So right. and then they still want to keep fighting, and Mothra has to convince them to work together. You know, uh, these right. monsters are as dumb as human beings. So yeah, I think the idea, the there is a a, um, a precedent of having that exact Marvel Comics heroes out of fight and then team up because then Godzilla and Rodan, of course, team up with Mothra to fight King Ghidorah, and then they team up again uh, a year later to fight King Ghidorah because you know if it made money in 1964, it'll make money in 1965. So, yeah. <laughs> right, but we're, we're, we're wandering a little far from the uh, the subject, though. And I, I mean, as interesting as it is to speculate on where they're going to go, because I, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, think we got to start saying to ourselves with this. Uh, well, first of all, is there any aspect of this movie that we haven't talked about that you're interested in uh, maybe delving into? There's one thing I just want to throw out there. Luke said, sure. you know, the credits before you get to the you know the post credit scene, the so we're sitting in the credits because I know there's a scene coming, and whatever the other morons in the theater did and managed to screw up, and they all left. Whatever, Dad and I are sitting there, and those credits are insanely long, right? I mean, there's a lot of people got a paycheck from from this movie, which is awesome. I'm all for artists and everybody getting that stuff, right? The soundtrack to this movie. Now I don't know if you guys are big Sims. I mean, I know Luke likes soundtracks and whatever, but the soundtrack to this movie is outstanding. Right, and I know it doesn't necessarily mean, but you don't hear it in the. It's in the movie in the back in parts of it, but it just fits perfectly. It's not forced at all. It doesn't seem like it's kind of hokey. The music is outstanding. Dad was like, "This this soundtrack's so good," but you really hear it during the credits when you're sitting there, and it's playing when the credits run for a good five minutes. 
you know, you're basically hearing all the you know, the first few tracks again on the. It's like wow, that's just it. Just sometimes, you know, I mean, I I appreciate really good scores to movies that mm-hmm. make sense. Um, to me, the uh, I mean, something like you know, I mean, there are times when you're like, okay, the score is fine, or maybe it's something you don't hear a lot of, but like Gladiator has that kind of score. You know what I'm saying? The little mm-hmm. times when you hear the music in Gladiator and it just picks up, and you're like it makes it elicits a response within you that the the director or you know and of of um you know the they're he's he's working hand in hand with the guy scoring and whatever that's what they do here and i just i just want i mean I, again i know i know there's a um a number of people who listen to our network uh who are definitely into the you know uh, film scores and even members who People present stuff about you know this score and that score and there's a lot of talk about like movie soundtracks and stuff like that. This is one if you haven't heard it, like if you didn't listen to it isolated, go on YouTube. It's all cut up track by track. It's awesome. It's just it's just well worth the listen. I think it's really good. There's no super long track. There's no like track that's like eight, nine, ten minutes, but each one of them fits really well together as a whole entire thing. So I just want to throw that out there. I know I know we. Uh, you know, trying to get to a point where we kind of bring this home, but it's no. It's I, I, I actually you know, appreciate your thoughts on the soundtrack. Yeah. I and when I watched it, I've only seen it once, and I mm-hmm. didn't really get to focus on the score, so mm-hmm. I didn't really have anything to add to that. But I'm glad that that you did, and you were able to kind of elaborate on it a little bit because that is something I like to look at in these episodes. So thank you for that. And next no, no, time no, I watch no, it, no. I will pay a little bit more attention to that. Yeah. But now I have to ask you the magic question, and I'll start with you, Jason. Uh, is this Jaws? And you know the Jaws scale, but I'm going to give it again because I always give it. Jaws is a classic, you know, almost perfect movie. Jaws 2, very, very good, worthy of multiple rewatches, solid, but just not quite reaching the level, level of classic. Jaws 3, watchable, enjoyable, but nothing special at all. Jaws 4, a bad movie. What do you say? To me, this falls, um, and this is where things get hard. Uh, I think we kind of talked about this with other ones. It's to me, it's it falls at the low end of one or the very very high end of two. Um, you know, I I really love this movie. I, I I love what we we saw there again. I've only actually seen it once. Um, it, you know, and and I know the DVD and Blu-ray sets all that coming out. Um, so I think after watching it again, I just I don't think this is a movie that's going to kind of be hurt by rewatching it. Um, I think I might actually enjoy some aspects of it even more because I won't. Now it's not like blowing you away when I can kind of watch it on a small on a smaller screen. Sometimes you kind of can see the you know the stuff that you kind of on the giant screens like whoa. But it definitely falls, uh, you know, a high 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 two or low low one right in that area. So. Um, you know, again, it's not, I mean, it's not, uh, um, how to put this? It's, it's not perfect. I mean, nothing is, you know, it's, it's not like, I mean, there's definitely things we've pulled apart here, but I think even movies that I consider to be, you know, top of the one levels, you know, with like a movie like Gladiator to me is like one of the greatest movies of all time. There's still things in there. I'm like, okay, there's little things you can nitpack, nitpick, but this movie doesn't reach that level, but it's definitely in that, that range right there. All right, fair fair assessment, Luke. What do you say? Um, for me, this is this is Jaws two because um, 
I, I really enjoyed it. It's a, it was a fantastic experience. I cannot wait to watch it again. I just uh, I don't think that it is an all-time classic because I think it it very much wears its jungle action um, um, heritage on its sleeve. It's not trying, I think, to be anything more than a exciting action adventure monster movie, and it does such a good job of that. That you know, one of the things that we we talk about with Jaws is that Jaws is this thriller, but it also kind of transcends that and has become something of a you know it, it's become the the legend of Jaws essentially from a cinematic standpoint. This film is never going to challenge that, but it does it, it 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 spends its two hours on on screen doing everything right and doing such a good job of it that I can it's hard to find fault with it. I just don't think it um, gets over the cusp. So to speak, to fall into that uh, that that you know upper upper echelon, it's uh, it's I just a just a great and enjoyable, energetic, fun movie, uh, and I that's that damning it with faint praise by saying it's not Jaws one, but this is like I said the high end of Jaws two to me. Okay, and for me, uh, I think it falls solidly, right firmly in the Jaws two category. I think it's a very enjoyable movie. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it it is definitely going to be worthy of rewatching, and I think I will enjoy rewatching it. I think when it gets to the point where it starts being on TBS or, you know, the TNT or Spike or whatever other channel it goes to, when I'm flipping through the channels and I come across it, I expect fully that I'm going to stop and watch it. So I, do, I definitely think it's going to be worthy of multiple watching. I don't think it aspires to the classic level. I think it's there's a certain aspect of it where it's looking for setup for the future and there's also a certain aspect of it where they say hey let's just be fun instead of being something more uh i think it achieves what it seeks to do and i think it does so very well so i do think it's a jaws 2 movie and i don't think that's necessarily a criticism uh so that's that's where it lands for me and uh that's about it for kong skull island which I appreciate again having you guys on. It's, I, I always enjoy it. It's the conversation always is always lively when I have you two on. <laughs> so, so thank you, thank you for having us. I, I, I mean, I know Luke enjoys these as well as me, but it's always fun to talk about. I mean, we've been on, we've talked about what the the original Godzilla. We talked about uh, Frankenstein uh, versus the wolf. You know, before he meets the Wolfman, and now Kongasco Island. I mean, you know, I mean. These are, I think well, I'm stereotyping you too. I think I have to bring you on for something totally different soon. Yeah, yeah well, you guys, you guys uh, I didn't get a chance. I missed out on doing it because I was traveling. But you guys did The Last Shark, which, um, oh, you know, yeah, is like right. the, the old. Which, you know, and, and, I, and I appreciated Jay mentioning this because, you know, I, I had said when, uh, Paul, when you started doing Is It Jaws, I thought we were go you were only going to be covering Jaws ripoffs because there's <laughs> enough of them to make a podcast out of that. So yeah, I think we we you know that them Jack and Eddie boys have a bit of a niche here on Is It Jaws. It's like, is there a monster involved? Yes. Well, then there's a good chance. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, like but I said, I think I think I'm gonna have to take you out of that uh, that safe place and bring you to something totally different. Sometimes. Oh, I, I know. You want you want a movie that the two of us can do that is a uh, has nothing to do with with monsters and is just a film that both of us absolutely love and is a just a, a straight drama. Let's What's go that? back to. It's a champion from 1949. Oh my Ooh, God, Kirk Douglas! Or, All Kirk right, Douglas. what an amazing yeah. movie! 
All right, yeah. you know what? That's that'll be our next time where the, where the three of us sit down together to talk. I don't know exactly when we're going to do it, but we're going to do yeah. it. We'll do champion. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I don't, I, like Luke said that. I was like, is he going to say the odd couple? Because if they're <laughs> that, the oh, that, comedy, that was one actually. Jason and I discussed that as a possibility yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah, that that's another one to put I mean, on the list. Because if you want to talk about a movie that not only do we love, but we can actually do the entire movie. Um, because we actually bought that we actually have the Neils the works of Neil Simon and we read the play and we assigned each other characters and did, did a basically a two man version of the entire thing all the way through, you know. Plus right, we also so I'll, met I'll make Speed. you guys jealous so. in advance of that one because I saw that in the movie theater when it was first out. Yeah, oh, I couldn't. So uh, I know you couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think my parents did. Did that yep, count? <laughs> I was I, I was I was pretty young at the time, but I did see yeah. it in the movie theater, and and they, and and just to to, I don't know why we're on this this tangent, but for at at that age, whatever I was, four or five years old, uh, the most memorable thing for me was when he took the uh, the plate of spaghetti and threw yeah. it against the wall. <laughs> now now it's garbage. You got to know your audience, you know. So yeah. <laughs> So, all right. Well, all thanks right. again, guys, for coming on, and uh, we'll do this again real soon. Sounds good. Thanks, thanks for, for having us. us. Kong is not the only king. <laughs> <laughs>